The book of Acts is full of peculiar little stories about the early church, and today's passage is right up there with one of the oddest. Paul has come to Ephesus, a capital city uh, of the Roman province of Asia, a strategic location for the gospel, and there he encounters a small group of disciples. Luke, who is the author of Acts as well, reports, Altogether, there were about 12 of them. So, uh, we assume a decent-sized group and just enough to leave a real mark on the city if they can get their stories right. We can surmise that at this gathering, the small talk ensues about Paul's travels and maybe, I don't know, what they're going to do together for dinner, and it quickly turns into the business of the church. As they're becoming acquainted, Paul asks a pointed question. He asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? But when he says this, everyone in the room begins to look at one another with a little bit of confusion. We hadn't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And now Paul is a little bit confused. Into what were you baptized then? They answered in unison, into John's baptism. Now, the curious reader or listener at this point may be asking, what difference does it make? John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, John baptized, so did Jesus. Water is water, baptism is a baptism. And for such an inquiry, you could be credited with sharp and analytical skills. Now, I just said Jesus baptized, and I know some of you really close students of Scripture say there's no record of that. I should correct myself at this point. Uh, Jesus was baptized, though, by John. Sometimes you just have to catch yourself in the middle of a sermon. (laughs) Cut, paste, delete. But yet, Acts chapter 19 is here to help us distinguish baptism from baptism and to open a window of deeper understanding about what it means to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, if you've ever toured or if you ever do tour the Holy Land, uh, your God may take you to Qumran, a region that's east, due east of Jerusalem, near the upper Uh, sort of the northwest quadrant of the shores of the Dead Sea. Qumran was the home of a Jewish sect like called the Essenes. You've heard of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Well, there were also the Essenes. They were a very remote uh, sect that lived in the wilderness. Uh, They're well known for preserving, uh, we've probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were the ones who preserved those and were recently found recent meaning the 1940s and 50s. I remember asking my tour guide when we were there why there were so many open graves in, the, in what looked like the, the town square or the middle of their community. And he said, those aren't graves. Those are baptismal pools. But to look at these baptismal fonts, you wouldn't know the difference between a pool and a burial plot. And it made me wish every now and then that we Baptists could learn a thing or two from the Essenes. Namely, that baptism puts you in a grave. 
To be baptized in Jesus' name is to recognize first that baptism is a death. When we're baptized, we die. We're submerged in a watery grave. Even more, we're baptized into Christ's death. We're given a share in his death. Our life ends in him. In this holy event, we're buried underground. When we're lifted up, we're lifted up from a grave. There's a date and a time to which we can point in our lives, point back to it and say, this was my life before baptism. And here is my life after baptism. And there's a difference between the two. I died to the old life. I put the old life in the grave. By God's hand, I've climbed out of the grave as a visible sign and seal of Christ's death and resurrection. Now I will walk with him in newness of life. But first, I had to die. Still, what is the difference between John's baptism and baptism in Jesus' name? Didn't John baptize in the Jordan? Was that not its own watery grave? Wouldn't John's disciples have recognized the significance of being submerged and being raised up? If we've seen one baptism, haven't we seen them all? But John himself defers to Jesus' baptism as more powerful than his own. John tells the crowds gathered on the shore, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming after me, and he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. This is the difference between Jesus' baptism and John's, and this is the difference Jesus' baptism makes. John's baptism was a baptism of preparation for a new world. Jesus is the new world. That is the first fruits of resurrection. Jesus' baptism commences the dawning of a new age on this old, tired age. Baptism in Jesus' name is, like John's, a baptism of repentance, which means a change, a turning, a change of mind, a change of heart, a going in a new direction. But unlike John's baptism, John, Jesus' baptism makes you incandescent. Jesus' baptism makes of you a torchlight in the darkness, a bright new creation in the midst of a fallen one, a luminous sign in the world of God's inbreaking dream. Jesus' baptism is the inauguration of something new. We even hear one of the congregation members in the synagogue early in the Gospel of Mark blurting out from the back pew, what is this? A new teaching with authority. We can even distinguish the newness of Jesus' calls to repentance from those of John. You may remember when, John, when the crowds asked John what they should do in order to repent. Because remember, John's a little bit spooky, a little scary, Camel's hair, leather belt, eats locusts for lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's a little bit out there. So he's calling on people to change. He looks like, for all the world, like Elijah. He's in the wilderness. He's really tan. He's a tough guy. They want to know, 
how do we respond to your message, John? And he tells them in detail. And I love detailed teaching. Somebody please give me some answers here. John gives them some answers. Whoever has two coats must share with one who has none. And you should do the same with your food. Now here John is calling for justice and equity. Uh, between the haves and the have-nots, wonderful message that we all could hope that would be shouted from the rooftops of our own country. John's is a truthful and powerful teaching. But when the young ruler questions Jesus about repenting, Jesus calls him not merely to share, but to sell all of his possessions and give the proceeds to the poor and come and follow him. Well, I've never heard of that happening. Yes, you have. In, in our own congregation, there are stories going way back of people taking out second mortgages to support the, the ministries of our church. Just in the last few years, I know of stories of people selling property and giving all the proceeds to our church. Well, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to share it, you know, keep some for yourself. And Do you know how much uh, a piece of land around here can go for and how much if you just... You just keep a little bit of it, what that can do with a 5%, 8% return over the next 10, 20 years. Come on, people. No, no, the story's here. I gave it all to my church. Not for me, not for us, but for the lives we touch. For the people's hearts who will change. Jesus multiplies the bread and fish for the hungry crowds. Jesus praises the woman who pours priceless perfume on his feet. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for our friends. Jesus lays down his own life for the world. Where John calls for equity, Jesus invites and embodies extravagance. Baptism in Jesus' name calls forth the same extravagance from us and makes us able to do it. When the tax collectors asked John what they should do to repent, John says, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. But in one of the most astounding moments in all the Gospels, Jesus comes to Matthew, who is a tax collector, goes all the way up to his office, knocks on the door, and says, Matthew, I know you like uh, your office is comfy in here and you pretty degrees on the wall and all, but it's time to come follow me. And Matthew just leaves his desk and follows. He leaves his job. Where John called for appropriate fairness, Jesus calls forth an entirely different kind of life. The baptism of Jesus calls forth the same kind of shocking change in us. I remember a, a classmate of mine telling me how he got to seminary. I said, what are you doing here? And, and he said, well, uh, he was sort of middle-aged, so I wondered. Uh, I left a business of mine that I started from scratch, and gentleman's clothing store, and I remember the, the day, it stays with me always, of locking the door for the last time and walking away so I could come here and study and serve the church. And I said, wow, uh, you must have lost your mind. And he said, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> uh, 
Jesus' baptism means that sometimes we'll have to give up what we thought was our calling in order to embrace a new vocation. As the preacher uh, Richard Lisher once wrote, baptism puts an end to you in order to disclose your true end. Now when the soldiers asked John, what about us? We, what should we do? John replies, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. But Jesus teaches us all beginning with the first disciples, put away your sword, put away your weapons. I remember Casey Callahan and I had a a professor in Richmond, Phyllis Rogerson Pleasance, wonderful teacher, friend to us, and uh, she was married to a man, Conrad Pleasance, and all my life, I think, what I remember most about her class is a story about her husband, Conrad, who was a police officer who didn't carry a gun. Now, he wasn't in Mayberry. He was in Richmond. I remember saying, Dr. R.P., he can't, how do you do that? She said, he built up a community the people trusted him. He didn't need to carry one. I'm not telling you what I would do. I'm telling you what Conrad did, what the Spirit enabled him to do. Extinguishing the violence in our hearts is part of Jesus' baptism. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who who abuse you. And when the centurion sees how Jesus dies, he sees Jesus absorb the world's violence without vengeance. And he hears Jesus breathe his last victorious cry uh, without cursing his enemies. The centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. Baptism in Jesus' name calls forth the same illogical peacemaking from each one of us. Jesus' baptism empowers us to die rather than kill. To be baptized in Jesus' name is to be washed and made new, yes. It's an act of repentance and a washing away of sins, yes. It is an appeal for a good conscience, yes. It is a burial and a death and dying to your old life, yes. But, It is also a rising to a new life in the Spirit. To be baptized in Jesus' name is to be given a share of the same Spirit that rests on Jesus at His baptism. It is to become fire. It is to live immersed in the very Spirit of God. Coming up from the waters of baptism, we're given a share in the Holy Spirit's power and dynamism and unpredictability. To be baptized in Jesus' name is to carry within us the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and raises us anew to walk in newness of life. I wonder if you noticed the oddity at the end of our passage today. Luke says of those baptized by John, altogether there were about 12 of them. Now, 
Reading this passage several times, I had to finally ask myself, why couldn't Paul get a decent head count of this room? There were only 12 of them, about 12 of them. Can't you just stand everybody still for a second and just get a, an accurate count, Paul? No. <laughs> about 12 of them. Well, have you ever seen a bunch of people get baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire? Hard to get a good head count of a crew like that. If you've ever been to a Pentecostal holiness church worship service, you get an idea of why Paul could not get an accurate head count of the room. They're already up prophesying in tongues and praying out of turn and making plans to turn the world upside down. The Holy Spirit and fire can do the same thing to you. Well, there are all kinds of strange and odd little stories coming out of Acts. Unpredictability, power from on high, dynamism. What's to prevent you from being just such a strange, odd, luminous story?